Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. It's Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wisdom Wednesday, Witness Wednesday, Winsome Wednesday, Watermelon Wednesday. I don't know. I don't really have a W food to attach to Wednesday. That's always kind of fun. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for this time together. I know that it's precious. You are precious as well. I I don't want you to lose sight of that today. Maybe you've lost sight of that. Well, I'm here to remind you that you are precious. Um, Yeah, in ways that you probably don't even recognize, but God loves you um, eternally and right now in this moment um, to to the ends of the earth. I mean, like to the ends of eternity, like God loves you. So I hope you um, are aware of that fact and can revel in it a little bit today. We want to be in the Word of God in order that we can be equipped to get out there into the world that God so loves and to walk around in ways that honor Jesus. So let's jump into Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. These are your Growing Your Faith verses of the day. You can sign up for them at MyFaithRadio.com. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. So I'm wondering when you hear those words, when you hear the affirmation that the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, when you hear that the Lord is a refuge in times of trouble, when you hear the affirmation that the Lord is trustworthy to reveal his presence to those who search for him, what comes to mind? What, what comes to mind? What fills your mind when you consider that the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. I can boil it down to really two options. Your mind is either filled and settled on the Lord, or your mind is running around a list of troubles, oppressions, disease. And the question planted by the devil in the garden, is God really good? So which is it? When you hear the psalmist's declaration, Where does your mind go? What is your mind set? What is your mind set upon? The Lord is. The Lord is a shelter when I'm oppressed. The Lord is my refuge when trouble comes. The Lord does not abandon nor forsake me. I am not alone. I search for him and he's right there. The Lord can be trusted even with this in life and in death and in every moment in between. You may be searching for God this morning. He is near. I know there are times that we do not feel his presence, but that's often because we're facing the wrong direction and hoping for the wrong things. It is true that our minds and our hearts, our lives will be restless until they are settled upon the goodness of the God who is, not the God of imaginations, 
God's, uh, of our idolatrous minds, but the God, capital G, the Lord, capital L, who never fails because he's love. Now, does that mean that everything always works out like I want and when I want and in the ways that I want with the people I want? No. Heavens no. People abandon and forsake us, but not the Lord. People oppress and do all kinds of evil against us, but not the Lord. People go back on their word, but not the Lord. You can trust God to keep his word today, and you can entrust yourself to him. One news item here before we jump into our conversation with Jeff Bilbro, and the headline is related to the conversation we're going to have with Jeff. Jeffrey Hinton, the godfather of AI, has abandoned the field. Um, Jeffrey Hinton's pioneering work on neural networks became the foundation for today's AI products, including things like ChatGPT. Um, But he has resigned from Google, saying that he wants to freely discuss the risks of his creation. Um, He thinks Google has acted very responsibly, but AI as a whole is advancing too rapidly. Um, He is concerned that AI will spread misinformation, upend the job market, create robot soldiers, but he does console himself with this, um, what he describes as normal excuse. If I hadn't done it, somebody else would have. Jeff Bilber is going to join us next. We're actually going to talk about why we must slow down the race to a godlike AI. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro is joining us now. One of the books um, that Jeff has authored that you might want to pick up is Virtues of Renewal, Wendell Berry's Sustainable Forms. Um, yeah, you're going to look at that cover and you're going to say to yourself, that 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 tree is growing in all directions. Um, Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. We got to get into the Virtues of Renewal because it bears on our conversation um, about why we must slow down the race to godlike AI. So we, some people just warming up to the conversation about AI, artificial intelligence, and we need to move into this conversation about AGI, which is artificial godlike intelligence. So what is AGI and, um, and why do we need to be alert to it and concerned about it? Yeah, so AGI, as you said, is, is kind of taking AI from being more of a supplement or assistant to humans and moving into the realm of general intelligence where it's more autonomous and uh, thinking on its own. People have already taken ChatGPT, OpenAI's stuff and hooked it up in various kinds of loops to see uh, what it can do on its own. And I think the results are are pretty mixed at this point. It's not quite there yet. But um, people who know more about computers than I do, uh, think that uh, just given the amount of computing power we're able to throw at these tools now, um, they will continue to behave in ever more unpredictable ways, right? I mean, already, I think ChatGPT has kind of surprised its creators and um, 
yeah, as they continue to have more computing power, they'll continue to do things that we can't predict and probably only a matter of time before they get uh, set loose without real human oversight uh, into to various features of the real world. When we think about um, the implications of this, I mean, again, people who know a whole lot more about it than the two of us, um, <laughs> yeah. um, they're worried, they're concerned. Um, I mean, the, right. uh, the the retirement of Jeffrey Hinton and in his comments on his way out the door, um, Ian Hogwarth's, uh, Ho- Hogarth, excuse me, um, little Harry Potter coming into my mind this morning, <laughs> Ian um, <laughs> Hogarth's um, contribution at Front Porch Republic, we must slow down the race to godlike AI. Like these are people commenting on this who know a lot about it. And when they consider the possibilities for the future, like they have concerns. I think that what you offer us um, is this reminder that the cultivation or renewal of, we'll call it formal intelligence, like actual intelligence, investing in the life of the mind is essential right now. Yeah, that's right, Connor. I think it is very telling that a lot of insiders to this field are raising concerns and stepping back, calling for pauses or rethinking how the, these kinds of tools are are deployed. And I guess my concern is that, you know, there's always going to be people who um, are willing to take the risks of continuing to develop these kinds of tools and of experimenting uh, with them on the public. I mean, Sam Altman, the, the guy in charge of uh, OpenAI, had decided to release ChatGPT even over the concerns of many of his employees because he wanted to let the public be a kind of, you know, a set of guinea pigs, basically, to help improve the technology and see how people could use it. And uh, this kind of irresponsible experimentation, uh, uncontrolled experimentation, uh, is, uh, yeah, prideful, arrogant, and a sign of, I think, a culpable lack of concern with the consequences for um, for these developments. So it reminds me of some of C.S. Lewis's uh, thinking in Hideous Strength and uh, the, the kind of damaging experiments that the ringleaders of NICE, his uh, scientific organization, conduct. Uh, and, it, and of course, in that essay that you opened with, uh, Hinton, I think, compares this to Oppenheimer's comments about uh, the nuclear nuclear technology, right? Mm-hmm. That we pursue these sort of things because they're technologically sweet, but uh, in the process, we tend to bracket the potential consequences, and that's uh, yeah, morally irresponsible. Moral responsibility is a part of the conversation. Um maybe hitting pause on our curiosity, maybe yeah. maybe standing still when others around us are racing forward towards something just because everybody else jumps off a bridge, my mother would say. Um, the, the C.S. Lewis quote that you lift up, the person who makes a technological choice does not choose for himself alone, but for others. Past a certain scale, he chooses for all others. Last yeah. Friday, Jeff, I got to, or two Fridays ago now, I got to spend the day with um, 
people who are serving all of us in the area of reproductive health care, and they are all doing so from a pro-life perspective. And so you can imagine that they are um, they are a special group of people. And one of the conversations was a, 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 the reality that women who are taking into their own hands the power of the technology available today through chemical abortion, they're taking that into their own hands and they are not just making a decision for themselves and for the child whose life is going to end when they take that series of pills, but they are making a choice for future brothers and sisters, for future employers, for the future of society writ large. The person who makes a technological choice, and and that is a technology, the development of these, of these drugs, does not just choose for him or herself and not just for the other individual impacted but for all of human history that will follow. Um, and I, I think that the humility of pausing before we use any technology available to us today um, is um, maybe the lesson before us. We've got to take a very brief break. Yeah. When we come back, we're going um, to continue this conversa- conversation with Jeff Bilbro. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I wonder what your thoughts are on the matter. You can always text me, 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. A hundred and fifty million people. A hundred and fifty million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live. Any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night, download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Hey, our friend Jeff Bilbro is here from Grove City College. Jeff, I felt like I cut you off at the end of that conversation. Did you have more to say about our conversation about humility and AI? No, just to confirm what you, that connection that you were drawing there to um, to the choice to have an abortion. I think so many of these decisions we think about just in terms of um, ourselves. Right? What do we want? What are the consequences for me? And we neglect the fact that, I mean, abortion obviously is a, if it's a very, particular and and tragic example of this, but uh, all of these choices that we make have implications for our neighbors and for the people that we live among that we're not, we're not isolated and um, neglecting those responsibilities we have is uh, sinful. And, and yet it's kind of the default mode of our culture to, to look at all these choices, you know, should I use this tool or not? Should I, should I do this or not as a, the individual's prerogative. Should I use this tool or not? Let's each one of us commit to pausing today before we use a tool, a technology of any kind for any reason. And let's ask ourselves, should I use this tool? That's a, that's great. I mean, and if you just need to go back and reread the Tower of Babel, it's not as if the, the question and the choices about using technology are particularly right. new. Um, we're just dealing with a particularly new one right now. Um, all right, let's um, let's look together at one at a piece that's posted at frontporchrepublic.com. 
I was intrigued um, by it. Bono's Search for Home. Apparently, Bono has written a book, 600-page book, um, and a boy born Paul David Hewson um, just chronicles a, a, a really a restless life searching for home. Yeah, and I, uh, this has been getting a lot of attention. Obviously, Bono is kind of a famous dude. And uh, I think John Murdoch does a nice job of appreciating Bono's questing spirit. You know, he is searching for God. He is searching for uh, a body, a community to belong to, but also kind of challenging him to um, to recognize that sometimes uh, we have to trim our sails. We have to uh, make commitments and be corrected by the church, uh, by the scriptures, by, by the body of Christ. And um, you know, if, if we want to find a home, that's going to entail having our own quest limited in some ways. And I, I think John does a nice job sort of probing that tension that, that Bono seems unable to resolve in this memoir. Yeah, I remain suspicious of religion, he says. Um, and I guess I wonder, um, you know, when he says, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, maybe one of his most famous lyrics. Yeah. Um, that's no, there's no question that throughout his life, and I guess he chronicles that in this book, um, that he's never really worked through the grief um, of his childhood yeah. And that there is this, when when there is a person, like a mom in his case, missing from our lives, um, we try to fill that with lots of things, and we're always looking for that intact home. And ultimately, that intact home is with God the Father and the family of faith, and that's, that's where all of those needs and desires find their fulfillment. Um, and so, I guess I just want to make that observation today, and pray that God would send someone into this man's path who um, could winsomely invite him home. Yeah. Yeah. The Extraordinary School for Girls, learning the things you wish grandma taught you. I I now want to become this person. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Katara Lamb has this great essay that uh, kind of outlines her very informal uh, invitation to a kind of uh, short academy for women looking, for girls looking to cultivate some of these very practical crafts that um, undergird hospitality, but maybe they haven't haven't learned. And I think, you know, she is delightful in her enthusiasm for uh, passing on these things. And, and I think in the spirit of, you know, genuine hospitality, being able to... Um, feed and clothe and tend uh, one another, that we need skills. I think all of us need to know stuff to be able to care for one another. And uh, her enthusiasm for learning these skills and pass them on to others, I think, is is definitely inspirational. Yeah, you could think, um, if you're listening right now, do you remember home economics class? Well, this is the informal expression of it. Some of us you know, had the privilege of being raised by mothers and grandmothers who 
taught us these life skills, but many, many people today do not possess these life skills. And so I commend to you this piece at Front Porch Republic, an extraordinary school for girls learning the things you wish grandma taught you. All right, Jeff, we got to leave it right there. Thank you, brother. So, so many good things. Blessings on the end of the school year. I'm sure you are sending them forth out into the world. Indeed, indeed. It's an exciting time to watch all these uh, graduates walk the stage and, and go to their new communities. Yeah, well, bless them as they, um, as they proceed. Um, and thank you for blessing us this morning with your presence. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. Hey, let's uh, take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, friends, I'm just taking a deep breath, um, acknowledging all that's going on in the world. We we continue to have a um, a growing crisis at the southern border. We are going to talk about that more at length tomorrow. Um, uh, but today, I just want to I just want to acknowledge the desperation of people who would stream across oceans and jungles and risk not only life but dignity in order to seek a better life. And I say that so that as we have conversations about securing the southern border of the United States, we don't lose sight of the desperation of our fellow man. And I think that as Christians, we have to weigh um we have to weigh those priorities, commitments. Um, so uh, are, do borders matter? Absolutely. Does law matter? Absolutely. Do people matter? Yes, they are precious. Um, and every single one of them, regardless of the nation of their origin, the color of their skin, the circumstance of their life, every single one of them is an image bearer of the living God. And if you see them, any one of them as anything less, then I want to invite you to to check that in your spirit today. Just check that in your spirit. Just say, God, I'm just, I'm, I'm acknowledging before you that I am seeing this person as less than an image bearer of God. Um, and just, just confess that before him. I don't have the answer to this incredible global problem. Um, I, and I don't have, um, an answer to the challenges that not only are we facing today, but we're going to continue to face at the southern border. Um, but I do know that we are God's people and we are citizens of another kingdom. And from God's perspective, people are precious. And so let me regard no person as any less precious than God regards that person. We're going to turn to um, the concerns of the global, our global community. We're going to conter- con- uh, turn our concerns to Christians living in very difficult places. Ruth Kramer is going to join us from Mission Network News, and we're going to lead off with the Userif, um report. Not very many maybe surprises in here, but we are talking about religious freedom around the world and our brothers and sisters living um, in the reality of genuine persecution. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Joining us now is Ruth Kramer. You can find her at Mission Network News, missionnews.org. All of the links um, for today are available there. And if you want uh, if you want me to send them to you directly, just text me, 877-933-2484. Um, Ruth, we, uh, we now have in our hands the 2023 USERIF report. So read us in. Well, first of all, the USERIF is the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Um, it's a commission that was created um, by the International Religious Freedom Act in 98. And so what they do is they examine the uh, universal right to re- freedom of religion um, around the world and make recommendations to the State Department that the State Department has to take into consideration as they look at policy. Um, I wanted to, to make a, a note here that the USERF uh, releases a report in late spring, so we'll say May, and then about a month later, the uh, International Religious Freedom uh, report comes out from the Office of International Religious Freedom. So they are two different reports on international religious freedom. Uh, one is part of the State Department, one isn't, and um, one takes the recommendations of the other into consideration uh, as they move forward in um, making policy. Uh, so it's it may sound a little confusing, but um, it's actually not because one informs the outcome of the other. And so I just wanted to kind of clear that up because sometimes it gets confusing when you have all of these uh, reports that are coming out that feel like they're kind of covering the same things. Um, In this case, this year's report doesn't really have an awful lot of surprises. Um, When you're looking at um, the different countries that have been recommended to be put on a list of countries of particular concern, um, these are are countries that we've already been watching, um, where you've seen massive uh, human rights violations. um, And the human rights violations also include religious freedom violations. Um, It's generally understood that if you don't have the freedom to believe, uh, to practice your own faith, you really don't have the bedrock, the foundation of human rights um, uh, in terms of human rights uh, freedoms uh, and the violations that take place there um, just kind of cascade throughout the rest of society. So religious freedom is taken very seriously by the United States, and we are speaking up on behalf of those who may not have anyone to speak up for them, may not have a voice. Um, This year, we are looking at 12 different countries that are probably going to be kept on the list. Uh, You've got Burma, China, Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Russia, and Saudi Arabia. But five new countries were also put on notice, and these, these are ones that we were talking about last year that were left off, Afghanistan, India, Nigeria, Syria, and Vietnam. Um, these are countries that you and I have been talking about uh, fairly recently within the last three or four months just because of everything that's been going on in, in these areas. Um, uh, in fact, in, in some of these countries, the attacks that are happening against religious minorities, in this case Christians, are so frequent and so um, deadly that they have almost no impact on the news cycle anymore. And we're talking specifically Nigeria um, because of what's been happening with the Fulani herdsmen, the Islamic State, and um, uh, Boko Haram. But also what we've been seeing recently from Taliban in Afghanistan, the BJP in India, and everything that's going on in Syria, which is kind of all a whole new level of crazy. Um, with all of the different militias and the the pressure that's coming in from Iran, um, 
it is an increasingly difficult situation for the body of Christ. Uh, when we talk about religious persecution, we're talking about an issue where the ability to live out and practice your faith, in this case for Christians, to follow Christ openly, uh, meets with severe repercussions. Either they're targeted for eradication or their buildings are targeted, the businesses are targeted, um, uh, kidnappings, beatings, all of this kind of stuff happens on a regular basis. And we want to call attention to this to say, hey, we are watching this. This is not okay. In some cases, the recommendations on this list that from the USERF um, will make it through the State Department, and they will take that into consideration when we talk about our bigger issues. When we're talking to allies, for example, um, we can put a little bit of pressure on them and say, hey, you know, this is not a cool thing. We would like you to address this because we believe that this is not in the best interest of your people. Um, as far as the gospel goes, what we've seen in a lot of situations is that there is a remnant body that remains behind uh, in very difficult circumstances. And as we pray alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we ask God to continue to give them opportunities, in spite of the persecution, God answers those prayers. And we have seen, an, a, a, I, wanna, I don't want to say an explosion, in some cases, an explosion of growth in the body of Christ. But uh, in many cases, it's new open doors. Um, when we pray for the hearts of the people who are terrorizing Christians, for the the government officials who are um, oppressing Christians, um, and we ask God to change them. We ask God to put people in their path to be able to share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. God answers those prayers. He is faithful, and we have seen some pretty amazing stories coming out as a result of God's people praying. So, Ruth, I want to say as a reflection upon this, um, just remind everybody that tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. Um, we as believers in the United States of America, we need to take full advantage of the freedoms that we have. Um, we need to take f full advantage of our freedom to express our religion publicly. And so if you have not already made plans to do so, please make plans to engage in the National Day of Prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ around the world um, need us to live into and strengthen what remains here because we are the bright shining light. Like this is what drives U.S. foreign policy um, is, is this conversation about how free are people and where are people being so oppressed that they're not even free to make the own, their own decisions about what, what they believe. And so just encourage you on that front to engage in the National Day of Prayer tomorrow. Um, could you bring us up to date, uh, Ruth, as, as much as possible, because I know it's a very dynamic situation, um, about what's happening in Sudan, particularly in relationship to people being displaced? You know, I want to say that Sudan surprised us by the instant conflagration that took place. Um, and yet, I'm not surprised. Nobody that's mm. been watching the situation is surprised. Um, you have a conflict between the Sudanese armed forces, the government, and a paramilitary group, Rapid Support Forces, and they are just tearing each other apart in Sudan. Um, the situation blew up uh, like I think last weekend or the weekend before that where you had multiple countries trying to evacuate the personnel because the situation looks like it's going to move out of a few armed conflicts into a full-blown civil war. 
And that is causing massive displacement of people. Obviously, there are a lot of folks who want to get out of the way when you've got this kind of thing happening. And um, you've got tens of thousands of people who are fleeing the country because of the, the, the borders around Sudan. You've got Chad, Egypt, South Sudan, and you've got thousands of people who are fleeing to these countries um, because they want to get, again, out of the way because of what is happening here. Um, and uh, we just want to be praying for the ministries that are meeting some of those needs because what we're seeing is um, organizations that are are not really in the humanitarian wing of things saying there are so many people here that we just need to make sure that they have what they need, food, water, fuel, critical supplies, shelter. And so organizations like Unfolding Words and Bible Translation organizations are coming around and saying, let's put together some kind of response so that we can meet the needs of the people who are coming over the border. Interestingly, we also see things that are happening out as far away as Lebanon um, because we have a a um I won't I don't I don't want to necessarily say group in exile, but there is a large Sudanese contingency that is studying to lead the church at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut. And um there the Sudanese body there is um obviously watching what is happening in in their home country. Their hearts are broken for what is happening. They're very concerned for loved ones, for family members, um, because things are uh, changing on a daily basis. Even though you have ceasefires that come and go, or are announced, I should say, the ceasefires don't really hold um, in, in any kind of ceasefire that has been announced since this started becoming a full-blown conflict. Um, there's always been fighting through it. And then you have one side that said, well, they threw X, Y, Z at us, so we responded. You can't expect us not to respond. And that's how it becomes a full-blown conflict again. So even with ceasefires, it doesn't really offer much more than a window of opportunity for people to leave if they can afford to get out of the country. Um, So, you know, the, the church leaders in training at ABTS in Beirut are watching the situation and they are trying to pray. What I think is interesting is they are um, among people who understand crisis, who understand difficulty, because Beirut, or Lebanon in general, uh, is something is a country that has experienced many of the things right now that Sudan is going through right now. So if you have a new generation of people who've never had this uh, kind of worry and concern, um, they can go to their Lebanese counterparts and say, how do I deal with this? What do you do? Where do you go in God's word for comfort and for hope and for peace? How can I pray into the situation? And and you're seeing this um, this unity emerge between the two, uh, two different, I don't want to say people groups, two different, um, the Sudanese and the Lebanese coming together to comfort each other and to grow in faith through this crisis. Um, it's kind of an amazing thing to see as you take a, a big step back and look at the situation uh, going on in Sudan. You know, when we talk about all of the things that are so dark, um, the Sudanese conflict, uh, the situation in Lebanon, the religious freedom violations uh, that are going on around the world, there's always um, a hope quotient that exists. And and it comes through the body of Christ. It comes through believers who are um, taking a step forward and saying, I'm going to respond uh, through Jesus Christ 
through the power of Jesus Christ, I will be praying. Here's how I can pray, and I can support organizations that are on hands and feet uh, on the ground if I can't actually be there myself to assist. Um, there's always a way to find your place in the story, and that's all we do when we talk about this is um, just trying to encourage people to find their place in the story. So good, and to be praying uh, with and alongside um yeah, people on the front lines of each and every one of these conflicts. For those of you asking, um, what is the United States stand in relationship to all of the all of this? We do have some fifty four thousand um, Sudanese who have immigrated here to the United States um, over the past decades. Uh, the highest concentration is in Fairfax County, Virginia. But if you live in the Twin Cities, you know there's a large Sudanese population. Um, in your community as well. There is a call from the Secretary of State and HHS Secretary Secretary, um, Mayorkas, along with members of the Senate, for the Biden administration to issue a new temporary protected status designation. That's a TPS. We've talked about those before. Um, And um, specifically for Sudan, Uh, that would be a new designation that would apply to people who have arrived in the United States under um, under a former TPS, Temporary Protected Status Designation, meaning that they would not be forced to leave when their current TPS status expires. But that in the midst of this violence, we wouldn't be sending people back to Sudan who are already currently protected um, here in the United States. So that's going on. We'll continue to follow that unfor- unfolding conversation in Washington, D.C. as well. We're going to continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer here in just a moment. We're going to return our attention to Haiti, uh, our very close uh, geographic neighbor in, in uh, continuing a tremendous distress. That's up next here, here on Mornings with Carmen. Our spring fundraiser is officially finished, but there's still time to give. If you enjoy this podcast and want to fund more content like this, make a gift now by following the link in the show notes or visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the uh, the links to the articles that we're talking about today and so much more at MissionNews.org. All right, let's talk about um, let's talk about Haiti and let's talk about the hope um, that people are finding even in the midst of what is very nearly civil war. One day I want to talk about Haiti and say, you know what? They solved the problem. Mm. <laughs> I feel my, my heart breaks for Haiti mm-hmm. like it does for Lebanon, like it does for so many of these countries where things it's just crisis on top of crisis. Um in this situation, Port-au-Prince is really just being torn apart by gang violence. Um, when we say gang violence, it's not like anything that we understand in the United States. Uh, the gangs are trying to take over um, and and run the country. They're trying to take over and take the power out of the government. There are no government, no elected officials left in the government. Um, and so it's been pretty awful with uh, basically a, it's a failed state. Um and then recently, I think it was maybe a week ago, you had some vigilantes that had basically had enough. They'd had enough of what the gangs were doing, and they they struck back. Um, and so then you have this this thing where people uh, can only take so much, and the gangs have stolen their lives from them, and they respond with a a violent response. And it seems like they got the upper hand because they they were able to reclaim some territory. 
But is that really what they want? Because violence that answers with violence will only be, be met with more violence. And so you have um, you have a lot of uh, concern. U.S. Special Envoy visited the area and he's like, this, is, this has got to stop. Um, and we are trying to come alongside the national police force to try to empower them to be law enforcement, to bring back some order in Haiti because it's so bad. And it's it's gotten so uh, unstable that Mission Aviation Fellowship suspended its operations in Haiti in Port-au-Prince until January of 2024. Um, so those are the circumstances. That's the backdrop against which other ministries are trying to operate. Christian World Outreach has a number of centers that they are working with throughout Haiti. Um, they're working with eight local churches for gospel outreach in um, in the Northeast. So the violence that is tearing apart the lower part of the country hasn't crossed the mountains per se. I mean, it's, it's, it's isolated incidents, but by and large, the crisis of um, civil unrest and, and the violence, the gang violence, has been kept to where Port-au-Prince is. Um, so in the Northeast part of the country, you still have the ability to... Um, to run ministries. And CWO works with eight churches uh, running feminine training centers specifically to train women with vocational skills like um, cooking, baking, sewing, cosmetology, gives them gives the women a way to earn a salary to, to um, take care of their families. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then they won't have to resort to other things. Um, it keeps them out of the human trafficking issues. It keeps them out of the slave trades. And um, it prevents their kids from starving to death, really. Um, they can start their own business. They can get a job in a hotel or a restaurant. And it gives them some human dignity. And through all of this with the training centers, um, there is the permeation of the gospel. So they do start the class with a devotional or um, maybe some prayer or just understanding a little bit about worship in general, who God is, who Jesus Christ is. And that gives more opportunity, builds opportunity to speak into what the gospel really is and why it is redemptive and who Jesus Christ is. And as a result of these little discipleship moments all the way along as, as they're training these women on how to be more independent, um, what you see are seeds planted that have bigger fruit down the line. So continue to pray for ministries like Christian World Outreach, like for Haiti with Love, that are still working in the north. Um, they're watching the situation uh, unraveling in the South. There is concern, obviously, but right now they are doing what they can while it is day. Um, Ruth, we have not uh, talked here on on the show about the situation in Kenya and the, the the just the horrific story about the starvation cult. Could you briefly read us in on that? You know, this one came about. And I, I think people were not ready for it. Um, mm -mm. This cult, now you're seeing a death toll of about 110 people. Um, and it uh, the death toll is continuing to climb. Um, funerals are starting to be planned as the exhumations continue and the autopsies continue. Um, and it really comes down to a cult leader whose name is Paul McKenzie, who hoodwinked his his followers. Um, he said they had to fast to death in order to meet Jesus, and they believed him. 
So he he went off uh, off book out of scripture, and it became a situation where um, you have a national spot, an international spotlight on a situation that has caused the Kenyan president to call it terrorism mm. because he said, you know, terrorists use religion to advance their acts. And he says this fits under the act of terrorism. Um, there have been a few people who've been found alive and uh, they're in pretty bad shape. Um, so there's some good news on that end. Um, on this side of the things where we're talking with partners that are in and around the areas where the cult has had activity, um, they're obviously calling to, uh, on us to pray, but also pointing the focus to what they're doing, not as a response to the cult, but just pointing out that there are lack of resources in some areas. And um, there are families who are starving, not by choice, but by circumstance. Um, and that's like five and a half million people who don't have enough access to food and water in Kenya alone. So that means a million children are expected to suffer from mal- malnutrition and they fall prey to people like these cult leaders. Mm-hmm. So we can be praying against that. We can be praying for many ministries like AMG as they speak truth into uh, into people's lives through um, their contact with people, through anything that they're doing. They are trying to bring the hope of Jesus Christ into it to speak truth and hope Amen. into their lives. Um, in this case, the story that we wrote was about the AMG sponsorship program because mm-hmm. of what it does, what it provides that uh, lessens the desperation. Um, and mm-hmm. it also provides the hope of Jesus Christ. Yeah, meets 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 all the real needs. All right, for more on that and to connect with those ministries, you can go to missionnews.org. Ruth, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Hey, in order to um, discern the true teaching, we have to know the word. It has to be in us in order that we would be able to say the thing that that person is teaching and saying and selling, that's not aligned with who Jesus is or what Jesus teaches or how Jesus lives or what Jesus promises. Um, In order to know the difference between the truth and falsehood, we need to be in the word that the word might be in us, that we might be able to say that is not true because I know the one who is the way and the truth and the life. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.